in the name of Jesus. To confess is to be counted. To confess is to stand up and be counted. To confess is to be self-examining of yourself and of the world, of God and your place in the cosmos. To confess is to say, this is what I believe. To confess is to stand up and perhaps willing to suffer. To confess is to be counted. We have these things in the church, they're called creeds. It comes from the Latin credo, which means I believe. We get the same words, credential and credible from that. And these creeds were hammered out in the early church, and people stood up and said, this is what, this is what the scripture says. This is what it says. And I think creeds get a bad name, and I can totally understand why. Because there's a lot of ideologies out there. There's a lot of creeds out there. And people seem to just kind of use those creeds to be tribal, to be exclusive, to say, this is the truth, and it's an unthinking truth, and I am just going to go this way, and you better go this way with me. But that's not the Christian creeds. And so I understand that there's a little pushback with all that doctrine, all that teaching, all of that confessing, all of those creeds. In fact, even Christians will say creeds are bad. It's not really about the doctrine, what the theologians do in the library. It's about deeds. And so they say deeds, not creeds. They yell at deeds, not creeds. But the problem with that is that's a creed. Deeds, not creeds, is a creed. You cannot not have a creed, just like you cannot not have a philosophy. You cannot not be a theologian. Even the atheist is a theologian because he says that there is no God or there is no way to prove there is a God, so there must not be a God. And he's saying something theologically. You cannot not have a theology. You cannot not have a creed, so you should stand up and be counted. And so in the early church, there was a problem. There was a big question, actually, and the question was, who is Christ? This is a very important question, as you know. And so they wondered about this, and there were a lot of people who were going a little bit down the road of philosophy rather than the road of Scripture. And so they wondered about who Christ was. Maybe he's this mythical half-God, half-man sort of thing, 50% God, 50% man. Or maybe he's a whole lot of humanity and just a little spark of divinity. He, he's the son of God. He's certainly better than you and me. He's really great, but he's not equal to the Father and the Spirit. Or maybe he's a whole lot of divinity and just one drop of humanity. And they wondered about this. And so they went to Scripture and they, they figured out what, what Scripture actually said and they, they stood up and said, this is what the truth is, and this, this is what matters. And they fought over not just words, but even letters in words, and it seems like such a big deal. But, but here's the deal. If you start pulling those strings, everything unravels. Let me say it to the, you this way. Imagine God, not in the flesh of Christ, imagine God only in spirit, buys the house next to you. And now you have a new neighbor, and it's God, and he is in spirit. 
And as you're talking to your new neighbor, he brags and he says, I've never sinned. I'm perfect. I never cheated on my taxes. I never got in a bar fight. I never said an ill word. I never even thought an ill thought. And you wouldn't say it to his face, his spiritual face, but you would rightly say under your breath, big deal. <laughs> you're God. Of course you're perfect. Walk a mile in my shoes. With this body, with these limitations, with this broken world, with this soul, with these temptations, walk a mile in my shoe. And so he did. And he took on flesh. And as the writer to the Hebrews says, he was tempted in every way we are except without sin. Do you see why this is so important? Because if Christ comes down here and he is not fully human and he's perfect, big deal. But if he was tempted in every way we are, then his righteousness is legitimate it's legit, and you see how important that is to me? Because I cannot be righteous by law, as Paul said. I need Christ's righteousness. I need him to make me right with God. I need, to make, I need him to make me worthy of heaven. And so if Christ's righteousness is not legitimate, it all unravels. So it was a big deal that they got this right. I don't know if you know this, but many people have died for you. And I'm not just talking about soldiers in war. I'm talking about people that died of diseases and then our, our medical experts figured things out so that we don't have to deal with the Spanish flu anymore. And people died building bridges and building skyscrapers. A lot of people have died for you. And yet not one of those deaths could do anything about your death. It maybe pushed it off a little longer, and none of those deaths could do anything about your sinful condition. And so there needed to be a divine death, a divine blood, a divine sacrifice. It was important that they got this right, that Jesus was 100% truly human and 100% truly divine, and I understand the math doesn't work out. But if you start unraveling, it all falls apart. I don't know if we have anything that is really similar in our culture to these powerful creeds that we recite. There's the Apostles' Creed. That's the teaching creed, that short one that we use to teach the basics of Christianity. There's a Nicene Creed named after that town in modern-day Turkey, Nicaea, where they hammered these things out. We usually use that on Sunday. Then there's that Athanasian Creed, the really long one that we recite on Trinity Sunday. But I think there's one thing that is a parallel. It's not an exact analogy, but it's a parallel to help you understand. It's our flag, our flag of the United States of America. We do silly things around this piece of cloth. We take off our hats, we stand up, we put our hand on our heart, we, we pledge an allegiance like a creed, we sing songs. And why do we do that for a piece of cloth? Because we understand that there was really important ideas. And as imperfect as our union is and will be, and as imperfect as those founding fathers were and they were, they understood that those ideas were really, really important, like inalienable rights and, and freedom and all the rest. They were really important. And they hammered out these ideas and they suffered for it. In fact, many people suffered for it, and a lot of people died so that you could be in this 
in this building right now and so that you can stand up and confess the truth about Christ. And so we'll never forget. We'll never forget those ideas and we'll never forget the idea of freedom and that freedom's never free and that the going price for freedom is almost always lifeblood. There was a lot of blood spilled for your freedom, so we pledge allegiance. When you come and you confess your faith and you're willing to stand up and be counted, we're talking about a different kind of freedom, not a political or an economic freedom, but a freedom from death, that freight train that's coming towards you, and the sin that caused it, and that, and that we'll never forget that there were people who hammered out these ideas. And so we're going to recite this creed over and over again so that we never forget. I mean, the church is a mess. We know that. But, but if you ever noticed, at least in our circles, we never debate who Christ is or who is the Trinity. You want to know why? Because we recite it every stinking Sunday. We're not going back to that battle. And we're grateful for that battle. And I'll tell you, more blood has been spilled for that freedom than your economic or political freedom, and it's not even close. Not to mention the divine blood. We'll never forget. So we stand up, and we're willing to be counted. On June 25, 1530, there was a group of laymen, laity, that presented a confession of what the Scriptures say to Charles V, the emperor of the Holy Roman Empire. And they said, this is... This is where we stand and we're willing to be counted and we're willing to suffer for it. And they had to hammer out these ideas because the medieval church was going the wrong way. It, it, it believed that Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. They, they believed that and they said that's very nice, but you've got to add something. And to boil it down to its basic core, it was this, do what is in you if you do what is in you, then God will not deny you grace. But you see the problem, because then grace is no longer grace, and love is no longer love, and gospel is no longer love when you say it that way, because if you say, if you do something, then it's not love. It's not a gift anymore, it's a wage. And if you have to do something then God is not loving Father who loves unconditionally. He's your boss who pays you a proper wage. And if you do good, he'll pay you with blessing. And if you do evil, he'll, he'll pay you with curses. And this makes him a tyrant of a boss because he knows full well that you can't do anything but sin. And so it's no longer grace anymore. It's no longer love. And so they stood up and they said, that ain't right. And here is our confession. And by the way, this confession does mark the birthday of the Lutheran Church. But just so you know, in 1530, there was no such thing as the Lutheran Church. There was just the church. And they weren't doing this to break away. They weren't doing this to be pious. They were doing this as the people of Nicaea did, as the, as the, the people who wrote the Apostles and Athanasian Creed. This was a gift to the church for everybody. For everybody, it was a line in the sand that said, we are saved by grace alone, not by works so that no one can boast. And this is not about theologians being picky, because if you start pulling that string, it all unravels. 
So on June 25th, 2023, this is what I confess. This is what I confess. I confess that you and I were born not just sinful, but enemies of God. And I confess that Phineas was born an enemy of God, as terrible as that sounds to say, on this day. But I confess it, and you can't run away from that truth. But I also confess that there was a real person, a God-man, who in a very real place, in a very real time, sacrificed his blood for Phineas and for you, and then he swallowed up death and victory three days later, and it's real and it's not imaginary. I confess that. And I confess that there is a holy Christian church that gets comfort to those who mourn lost. And I confess that when Phineas was brought by his parents to the font, it was a parade of death, but then it was interrupted by Jesus and his Holy Spirit and made a parade of life. And I confess this, and I'm willing to stand and be counted for that. Jesus said something very curious today in our, in our gospel reading. He said, if you acknowledge me before men, I'll acknowledge you before heaven. Another way to say it is, you confess me, I confess you. You got me, I got you. And it's a very curious thing because it means that there's a conversation going on in heaven between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we know this. We're told this. And it must be a very passionate conversation because it's God, you know. And it must be very deep. In fact, we're told that the Holy Spirit speaks with groans that words cannot even express. And you know what the subject of that conversation is? It's you. It's you. And Christ is your advocate, your lawyer, and the Holy Spirit too, saying to Father, that's my guy, and that's my gal. They belong to me. They confess me, and so I confess them to you, the Father. And a part of that conversation goes beyond our time and space. That the conversation about you and about me and about Phineas began before the beginning of the world, before Phineas was born, before his parents and grandparents were born. That's curious to me that they were talking about where Phineas would be and where you would be, and they knew we'd all be here today, and they were, they were talking about it with groans that words cannot express. It's curious to me that it was before the beginning of time, and so maybe Maybe what Jesus is saying when he says, if you confess me, I'll confess you, it's with a little wink, and he says, you actually need to flip it upside down. That I confessed you before the Father, before you were even born. That I acknowledged you at the font. That I acknowledged you at the cross. That I acknowledged Phineas before he was born. And then as the result of that, you stand up and confess. So Jesus acknowledges you, and then you acknowledge him, and then he acknowledges you once again in this beautiful Trinitarian conversation spoken in groans that words cannot express. So maybe to confess is not so much to stand up and be counted before God, but to be counted by God. That's my guy, and that's my girl, they belong to me. Let me confess one more thing. I confess that there is actually a heaven. 
And I confess that when Phineas popped up into heaven, they all looked around and they said with another wink, who is this? And they said, you know. And they said, that's Phineas from the great tribulation. And he's here. And God said, that's my guy. In the name of Jesus, amen.